Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. you so much. Really appreciate your ministry. It's just so precious being in the Lord's presence. Always. Tonight as well. And going to spend some time a little bit later praying for one another again. Um, we had a really good weekend last week. Is anybody here who was at Convergence last weekend? Whoop, whoop. A bunch of us, we've woken up, hopefully recovered from the week or during the week, and we're able to still get around to all of your responsibilities after a, a busy weekend. But there are a whole bunch of people who made last weekend possible, and we thanked some of them this morning. Um, see, some of them are, are here this evening, so I just we don't want to ask Gizzy and Yuret, you were here this morning, were you already? And... Is it, is it only, is the wet okay? Gizzy, this is not you for now. Come on, go for it. So Gizzy is a teacher. You might not know this if you didn't. She's a teacher at a school. So she had a school holiday recently. And she took her whole school holiday to come and prepare for the children's conference and serve throughout the children's conference. So bye, bye, thank you. Really appreciate that. And Yaku has a medal that he wants to hang around your neck. Huh? You see, you, now you have to do what all the Olympians do, and you have to bite it. Uh, uh, so I always wonder, kind of, if you win an Olympic gold medal, and they always bite it for some strange reason, are they disappointed to find out it's not chocolate? Um, but thank you so much, Gizzy, and all of the others who served throughout last weekend. We really, really appreciate you guys. Um, as part of last weekend, it was sort of a, our 30th birthday celebration as well, and just a good moment for us just to stand still and reflect on some things that the Lord has done in our lives and in our church over the last 30 years. And we put together a series of video clips, which we showed in the conference, but some of us weren't there, so we thought we'd show them in the services as well over the next couple of weeks. I don't know, I'm being pointed many fingers. Okay, awesome. Yaku, if you can show that video clip for us, please. I was a first-year student. Student. Student life, 1994. It really changed my life. I was invited uh, to chauffeur by Heinrich.
the mere fact that they were bold to enter a campus in a stronghold like Stellenbosch, Stellenbosch University was an influencer on its own in the Afrikaner community, but also in the business community. And uh, for the two of them as a mixed couple to come in there and proclaim the gospel in the way that they did, knowing that there is a very strong uh, reformed church establishment, a reformed culture, and they come with, let's say, a charismatic type uh, ministry. That impressed me. We first uh, visited Shofar during 1996, and uh, our first impression was it's a group of uh, vibrant young people uh, that is very loud, but is very committed and dedicated to the Lord. I mean, Fred, he read, felt like chapters and chapters of scripture. Uh, and it didn't matter whether it was from the Old Testament or the New Testament, you know, it was just like we honor scripture. Then when the worship started, that's really when we were just blown away. You know? So it was Fred and Lucille, the worship, uh, Fred and guitar, Lucille on the keyboard, one other guy, I think Hans was on saxophone. And man, it was just incredible. The presence of the Lord was so tangibly present. It was unbelievable. Um, and I think just that, that sense of the holiness of God um, really hit us. And we were like 20, maybe 25 people, but it felt like we were many more. That was the amazing thing. Um, you know, even though we were few people, it felt like all of heaven was there. The genuineness in the worship and the pursuit after God. There was a, a purity in wanting to know who God is, what He said, and how to apply it in our lives. It was a radical church. It was radical in the sense that uh, we believed what the Bible said, and we were not ashamed of that, and we were zealous to do what the Lord commanded us through His Word. It was not for me as if I could the first time right the boodschap. En al het het in Engels gekomen. Dat voor mij rechtig was, bij het diep aangeraakt. En ik die behoefte, een groot behoefte, eindelijk in mij bevredigd, wat ik niet eens eindelijk bewust van was dat ik gehad heb. People just inviting us into their homes, you know, really being consistent and persistent in sort of pulling us into their world, but also driving to us, following us up week after week, making sure we felt like family. Um, that was special. Van het ik bij Shofar gekomen het, jy weet, asof ek die Heere anders ter belewe het, asof dit net vir my een werkelijkheid baie meer geword het. Apart from being a bunch of young people that was excited about Jesus, was just belonging. I think it was the, the passion and, and the word. There was just a solidness to the message that was preached. And I think the combination of the three, um, that settleness in my heart, that belonging, um, the passion and, and the word that was preached. It's the word, the worship, um, the fellowship uh, that really made us there. And, and, I, and I think also what was, what was um, I think powerful for, for us was the fact that we, we had this conviction. You, you couldn't define it, but, but walking in there, there was a sense the Holy Spirit led us here. You know, it was like almost as if this church had been prepared for us and we had been prepared for this church and these two components came together in a divine way that nobody else could have manufactured. So 
I think if you want to put spiritual terms to it, it was a conviction that we, this was home and we didn't have to look any further. It's always good just to look back at our roots a little bit and remind it of the special moments that we had all of those years ago. Um, and to see how God is still breathing and moving and even encouraged in a, a moment like this where we're just a few, 20, maybe 25, exactly like they were saying. But there's something about the presence of the Lord that is with us. And you know, from time to time, I, I think it's important to remind us about why we gather like we do this evening. Why we gather, why we, we take time out to meet together as a family. Obviously, it's to meet with the Lord. Obviously, it's for ourselves. Obviously, there's a, a part where we connect with the Lord, where we just come and we have a precious, precious time. But I'm also reminded that one of the reasons we do this is because there's a broken world out there. There are broken people. Tomorrow morning, as you go through the day, you're going to have contact with 10, 15, 20, perhaps even more people, broken people, many of them, before lunch. Some of us even before breakfast. There's people who are going to rub shoulders with, connect with. And one of the reasons we gather here, it's, I remember being at an Angus Bucken meeting many years ago, and he was saying how the, the ladies were all upset with him because he was doing these big mighty men conferences with tens of thousands of men coming together. And the ladies were, when are you going to do something for the women? And his answer was, I'm doing this for the women. <laughs> Imparting into your men's, into your husband's lives, because a man who fears God is going to be a better husband and a better father. I'm, I'm doing this for you. That it's for the men who are there, but there's an outflow to the world outside. And as we gather in moments like this, it's important to remind ourselves we're also doing it for the world outside. And Part of, sort of, if you will, my, my job description as such, not the one that's kind of on the contract piece of paper, whatever that I signed, but the one which is far more important that's in Scripture is in Ephesians 5. And, you know, as you think through what are the things that as a pastor, what am I meant to be doing? I don't know if you guys, none of you are pastors, so you probably don't wake up with this. But perhaps as a teacher or as an engineer or as an employee of this company, you wake up some mornings like, you know, what am I actually meant to be doing? And I guess there are a couple of things that I'm meant to be doing. One of them is really loving you guys. But then I also realize kind of as we do it that that's not the role of the pastor to love one another. I don't think Jesus said a new commandment I give unto you that your pastors love one another as I have loved you. Obviously, it's part of it. But really that we grow all of us in love towards one another. That we care for one another. That we shepherd. Obviously, a shepherd, pastor, teacher. These are all sort of words that are largely used interchangeably in Scripture. There's a care element, definitely. But then there's a preparation element. We read in Ephesians 5, it says sort of a, a large part of my job description is to equip you for the work of ministry. Africa, last Sunday morning. If you missed the convergence sessions, keep an eye out on our social media, on our WhatsApp updates group. We're going to be posting the links over the next couple of weeks, we just want to clean them up a little bit and make them a little bit more YouTube-friendly than the live sessions, and we're going to post them all. I really want to encourage you to catch up with them. And converge, oh, Convergence, Africa asked a question which Yaku, as long as I can remember him, has always asked us, how many of us sitting here today are in full-time ministry? 
and Yaku would be very disappointed that we still don't know the answer. But in truth, all of us, if we are followers of Christ, we are in full-time ministry. What is ministry? Ministry, the word literally itself means service. So what is ministry? Ministry is us arriving early to set up the coffee and the tea. Ministry is being here to pack the chairs so that we can gather together. Ministry is doing what I'm doing. Ministry is leading worship. Ministry is like Heinrich did last week or a couple of weeks ago, sharing, preaching in inner city. Gisela giving up her week to come and prepare for the children's conference. Ministry is also tomorrow morning when I rub shoulders with my colleague, with my neighbor. When I knock on the door and I say, I see you a little bit down today, UK. Ministry is bringing Jesus into that conversation. And so part of what Scripture holds before me in a sense of my job description is to prepare the saints, equip saints for the work of the ministry. And so in a sense, my success as a pastor is not so much determined by who is here and how many people arrive on a Sunday. It's far more determined by what happens to those people tomorrow morning when they go to class and when they go to their workplace. Have they been equipped? Have they been prepared? Is there an awareness of purpose that God has called me? That you are chosen by Christ. You are an ambassador. Spoke about the fact we're going to let our little light shine a couple of weeks ago. I think it's important that we remind ourselves about that. And as we remind ourselves about that, it's also important that we ask ourselves, what are the things that make for successful life in Christ? I can give you a, a clue. I remember many years ago, we were busy appointing someone when I, we had a, far more people on staff, and we had one of our elders helping us with the appointment process, and he was very involved in appointments. And he, had, he was a director at a fast-growing company, and... I remember him mentioning this thing to me, which has stuck with me ever since. He said at their company, they made a quality decision not to appoint people based on their CVs anymore, but to appoint them based on their character. He said they did that for a reason. It's because they realized that when they fire people, they don't fire them based on the CV, they fire them based on their character. And as a company, they determined that it is much better for them, it is healthier for them to find people of great character. Sure, there needs to be a, a basic competence, basic awareness, but maybe this person isn't an expert in the specific field. But if we appoint the right person of character, we can train them competence. It is not within their work, within their scope as a company, as an organization, to appoint people who are very gifted and try and train them character. That for them as a company, it just it didn't work. And so when we come to Christ, when we're following Him, when we're asking, I wonder kind of pretty much everybody here except one or two people in the front row are young and the people in the front row are very young, is what does a successful life look like? When I'm 70 or maybe 80, depending on where I get, what are the things that I'm going to look back at and say, I was successful in following Christ. I was successful in representing Christ. And so in your field that you're studying, maybe you've started working. If you had to think of what are the things 
that if these could fall into place, this would help me to take the next step in success. Maybe even if I got all of this right, I would be very successful. If all of these things happened within my framework, within my career, I would be successful. If I were to ask that to a bunch of church people, we would probably get answers like calling. You know, if I, if I could just know that I'm called, just as an aside, we're all called. Scripture says that so clearly. If you're sitting here today, you are called by God. Maybe if I was just more anointed, if I was more gifted, if I had more ability in the things of the Spirit, if the Holy Spirit breathed on me more, maybe if I was more favored, if there was more of a, you know, sometimes we don't like this idea that God is favorites. We like to think that God is completely, perfectly equal all the time. But then maybe I can ask this, who here has ever prayed for a job or for a bursary, or for some opportunity. Anybody, you believe in favorites. Because what have you just done in that moment? You've said, God, I know there's one job or one bursary, and there are 10 or 50 or 100 applications. Maybe this isn't the wording that I'm using, but this is what it comes down to. God, what I'm... God would you be so kind as to take the other 99 applications and just move them off the person's desk. Maybe they're also needy. Maybe they're more needy than I am. Maybe they also have a family to care for. Maybe they also don't have finances to pay for the studies, whatever it may be. But God, would, would you put mine on top? Isn't that what we're praying? We use different words, but that's what it comes down to. We're asking God for favor. We're asking Him to place us above the others. And Scripture is all over the fact that God has favorites. God doesn't have a problem with that. Also, fortunately, God isn't of limited means, so He can give everybody the best treatment at the same time. He doesn't have to push someone to the back to push me to the front of the queue, but we're going to be praying to be at the front of the queue because we know that there's a God who has favorites. Maybe if I was more favored, or, or maybe, maybe if I had the position, if I had the title, you know, if I got the the job description, if I got the post, then um, that would be successful. You know, I'm so struggling with all of this, but if somebody would just recognize it and just appoint me and give me the job title, man, then my career is going to happen. So what I also want to say is this evening I'm pursing, is it even a word, pursing, I'm preaching the first half of a two-part message. Let me just say that right up front, because we're going to end sort of with bad news, very bad news. Everything will be okay at the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end, okay? So it's not going to be quite the end yet. In two weeks' time, next week, Yaku is going to share a great message with you. The week after that, I'm going to be back, and we're going to do the second half of the message. So in a sense, today, I'm just doing the bad news and then two weeks down the line, we're going to do the good news. Okay, so let me just say that up front so you don't leave here all depressed and hopeless about life because there is no hope for us. There is lots of hope, and that's why we are here. But it is sort of a, a two-part message. So I want us to look at a, a man in Scripture who, if you've been through some form of child's Bible study, maybe you grew up in a church environment, you've heard this name and you've heard about his great exploits. His name is Samson. 
Anybody heard of a guy in the Bible called Samson? Normally when we think of Samson, we think of this big, strong, macho guy with long hair who just kills everyone and everything. There's a little bit of truth to that. What's also interesting, if you look at the book of Judges, Judges tells us the story of many of the, the leaders of Israel before they had a king. They were called Judges. And many of those Judges, maybe get like one or two lines. Maybe if they were significant, sort of a paragraph or two. Samson gets four chapters. There is a lot for us to learn from the story of Samson. The other thing is that Scripture tells us in the New Testament that everything that happened in the Old Testament happened for us to learn. And so as we read from Samson, as we look at a little bit at some of the life of Samson, I believe there is some things that God is wanting us to learn. And so we look at, we find Samson in um, Judges chapter 13, reading from verse 2. In those days there was a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan, and he lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. The woman ran and told her husband, A man of God appeared to me. He looked like one of God's angels. Terrifying to see. I didn't ask where he was from and he didn't tell me his name. But he told me, You will become pregnant and give birth to a son. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. For your son will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from the moment of his birth until the day of his death. So here we see Samson was as called in life as anybody had ever been. He was called specifically as a Nazarite. Jesus was a Nazarene, but he was not a Nazarite. It's two completely different things. A Nazarene is Jesus who grew up in a town called Nazareth. So we're living in a town called Pretoria, so we are, I don't even know what the English for this would be, but we are Pretorianers. What is the English for Pretorianer? Is there English or is it Pretorianer because it's Pretorianers because it's Pretoria and there's Pretorianers in this nominate who it is. Um, so Jesus was a Nazarene because he was from Nazareth. This is a completely different thing. This is a Nazarite. Here is, and there's a whole chapter in the book of Leviticus where it speaks about what is, this is a specific form of dedication, of commitment to Christ, a Nazarite. Most of the time, it was for a, a period of time, people would take the Nazarite vow and they would commit themselves to the Lord to a specific way for, to live in a specific way for a period. Samson was called as a Nazarite from birth. Just it, it come, it's a little bit lost in this translation. Some of the more word-for-word -word translations, the more literal translations, bring it out more clearly. It's not that any old person or any old angel appeared to Samson's mom. It was Jesus himself who appears to Samson's mom. Arrives at his mom and says, this kid is a special kid. You're going to have a kid and you better look after him. 
It's like, can you imagine if you marry, single, not yet married, engaged, probably 14, maybe 15 years old, given the history of, of time and when people typically will get married in that age, and an angel appears to you and says, you are going to be mother of son of God. It's like, what? <laughs> Whoa, just dump a heavy on me, you know. That's a, but this woman has a moment like that. Jesus appears to her and says, your son is going to be special. He was as called as anybody in the history of Scripture had ever been. Then we read, and there are many accounts like this. I've just highlighted one here in chapter 14. As Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Often we think the picture that's drawn of Samson in Scripture was he was this huge, big, strong, muscular giant. I don't think he was. I think he was normally built, normal person. Because what happens here is the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. You see, the power that comes upon him was not a natural power. The power that comes upon him wasn't because he was this big, bulky, strong, really well-built, gemmed individual. No, the Spirit of the Lord empowered him with strength. And at that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat. I've never ripped apart a young goat. I don't know how easy it is to rip apart a young goat's jaws, but apparently it's easier than doing it to a lion. But he didn't tell his father or his mother. One of the reasons he didn't tell his father or his mother is because he was a Nazarite and part of the Nazarite vow, a Nazarite was never meant to touch any dead thing. Never mind even kill things. And so this is incredible power. There is an anointing that comes upon him. There is a giftedness that Samson has that no one in his generation has. Everyone else is operating at this level, and then the spur of the Lord comes upon Samson, and Samson is operating at this level. If Samson is designing a bridge and the spur of the Lord comes upon him, he is designing the most amazing bridge ever designed. If he's coding an app, he is coding an app that no one has ever dreamt of could be done. He's just operating on a different level when the Spirit moves upon him. It's not that he is so good or so strong, but he has this gift of the Holy Spirit that comes and empowers him. In chapter 15, I love this bit. So he's just gone and he's just slain a whole bunch of Philistines. God just allowed him, just given him this great victory. And now he was very thirsty, which typically happens after you've been active. And he cried out to the Lord and his heart probably isn't the best when he says this. You have accomplished this great victory by the strength of your servant, which up to this point, that's beautiful. That's worship. God, you have accomplished this amazing God. All the honor to you. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans? He's a bit moaning and a bit not even has the best spirit in this moment. So God caused water to gush out of a hollow in the ground at Lehi. And Samson was revived as he drank. And then he named that place the spring of the one who cried out. And it is still in Lehi to this day. You see, Samson asks God. He says, God, I'm just a little bit thirsty. And God is no problem. Boom, a well springs up right next to him. Samson is favored. Samson brings a prayer request before God. 
and God answers. And once again, there are multiple examples of this. I wonder what it is in your life right now where you're like, God, if I can just have a boom, thank you for the well. God, if I could just have this breakthrough. God, if you could just answer this prayer. God, if you could just make this thing, this miracle happen, which is completely impossible, except God, you can do it. God, I need this provision. God, I need this opportunity. God, I need this change. And God is like, yes. Samson's got that favor upon his life. He asks, God answers in miraculous ways. And then we see Samson has a position and authority upon his life. What's this here? It says that in verse 20 of chapter 15, Samson judged Israel for 20 years. During when the Philistines dominated the land, Samson had the title. Samson had the position. Samson had the calling. He had the anointing. He had the favor. He had the position. Samson was set up for success. Except there was one thing that Samson didn't have. And so what happens is Samson is drawn to a bunch of women, amongst others, this one woman. Her name is Delilah. Delilah is a Philistine, and the Philistines come to her, and they say, listen, we're going to give you a whole bunch of money if you help us to capture Samson. Delilah is sort of a prostitute, and Samson enjoys visiting her, and every time he kind of, he's with her, he eventually sort of falls in love, he gets infatuated with her, and she kind of asks him, how do, how do we take your strength away? And he says, well, if you do this, or if you do this, you'll take my strength away, and then she does it. And the next morning, he wakes up, and he's tied up, and they come, and they try and arrest him. And he was like, well, I'm just going to break it all. And he breaks all the chains or the, the ropes that they tied him with, and then he kills everybody. And then they get more upset with him. And then he comes back, and she does it again, and he trusts her again, and she betrays him again. And he comes back, and he trusts her again, and she betrays him again. And it's like, dude, learn. <laughs> and so he comes back again to this lady. And he surrenders himself to her. He says, if you cut my hair. In other words, if we break the vow that I made with God, then the Spirit is no longer going to be with me. And watch what happens here. He says, and then um, she does, she cuts his hair, and they come and they tie him with ropes. And then she wakes him up and she says, she cries out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you because I called him. But anyway, when he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. And this for me is one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. Here is Samson and he wakes up one day and it, it's sad enough that the Lord has left him. What is even more sad is he didn't even realize the Lord had left him until it was too late. They arrested him. They ripped out his eyes, just did a whole bunch of other really, really very harsh things to him. We see here something in the life of Samson, which we see all across the world today. And sadly, we see in the church today that we run after gifting. We run off. I've been to so many Christian conferences, Christian teachers. Things, whatever. They speak about calling. They speak about gifting. They speak about favor. And they speak about all of those things and title and position and all of this. But you know, the crazy thing is that is not what makes our lives. 
Yes, there's a component of it. Yes, there are, are times when they are necessary. I was saying this morning, I've been in ministry for many years and sort of in ministry, one of the things that happens from time to time, we get an SOS, my marriage is falling apart. Just as an aside, especially for those who, those who are married, but for the rest of us who aren't married yet, here's a quick clip, clip, tip. My words tonight, I don't know where they are. Here's a quick tip. Don't wait until your marriage has gone off the cliffs and is lying broken on the rocks before you ask for help. When you realize, hey, we've got a flat tire and this road's a little bit dodgy, ask for help early. Don't wait for the whole pawpaw to hit the fan. And normally by the time people arrive around our table, it's because the thing is right at the bottom there and there's been so much hurt and so much damage. My wife and I, a couple of years ago, we went just through a period of going to marriage counseling for a time, not because our marriage was a complete disaster, but we realized if we don't address some issues early on, it's going to become a disaster. And so I want to just say that, put that out right now. For one day when you're married, remember that. Rather get too much help too early than too little help too late. Your marriage is going to go through difficult times. I promise you, don't be embarrassed about it. It's life. But anyway, so one of the things that I've learned in doing counseling with married couples, guess what? Marriages don't fall apart because of marital issues. In the same way, that people don't get fired because they're not good enough at the job, or very rarely. Relationships don't break down. Friendships don't get lost because of friendship issues. Businesses don't fail largely because of, obviously bad business decisions comes in there, but businesses don't come crashing down and it sort of, I remember a sports person, I was speaking to a sports person once and being involved in sports, and they said something. They said, the dream of every sportsman is to be on the back page and not the front page. Sportsmen don't come on the front page. You know, you're only on the front page. Well, I guess you might be on the front page if you won a World Cup or something like that. But apart from that, sports people are only on the front page when they mess up and on the back page when they win. And so you don't get on the front page because you weren't good enough at the game. Marriages fall apart, businesses fail, lives crumble because of character issues. Because normally inside, in a marriage context, at least one, probably both, there are some unresolved, unhealed, unredeemed character issues. That's why churches fail, that's why businesses fail, that's why people fail. Because we're like Samson. We run after the anointing, the calling, the big things that the world puts esteem on, and we don't put esteem on character. I wonder when is the last time, how many of us, we've been in church for ages, when is the last time you were at a conference about character, or you saw someone say, hey, we're going to have a whole conference about Christian character. Yes, we do weekends about flowing in the Spirit, and we flow, do weekends about giftedness and competence and all of those things, but we don't so often talk about character. And that's the one thing that makes and breaks us. There's a specific type of character which we are looking for as Christians. It's called godliness. And so I'm going to hit the pause button here because this was actually just the introduction. 
You see, we live in a, a New Testament sense where we know that Jesus has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So let me put this out there. You're not going to wake up one day and Jesus has left you and forsaken you. He will always be with you. But when I look at the life of Samson, I see that there is a way to live that is pleasing to God and a way to live that is not pleasing to God. There is a way in which I love Scripture, where all of Scripture, but there's one passage, such a cool verse. It says, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking those whose hearts are loyal to Him, that He may show Himself strong on their behalf. What are the things that God's eyes are looking for? When we look at the life of Samson, I think, I think it's clear that he's not looking for giftedness. He's not looking for favor. He's not looking for title and position and calling because those things come from him anyway. He's looking for something that's a state of our heart. And so there's a passage in Scripture that says we should train ourselves toward godliness. It's not something that happens by accident. And so when we come back in two weeks, we're going to look at that a little bit. How do we train for godliness? How do we prepare ourselves? What are some of the steps, some of the things that we can embrace in our lives to help develop godliness? If I want to train for the comrades, I need to work out a training program. If I want to train for the 94.7, if I want to train for the event, if I want to train for the exams that are coming up, I'm going to train myself academically. I'm going to have a program by which I'm going to... My brother was brilliant at that. He always had, at the start of every exam, he had the most amazingly worked out study program for all of his subjects. And it's been like a day making it all. It would be perfect. But there was one problem. Tomorrow morning when he starts, he's a day behind already. Because he took the whole day to work out the study program. So guess what he does? He works out a new study program. And the same thing perpetuates because it's so much easier. But the point is that we have to train. We have to train ourselves. And Scripture says godliness is the same. It's not something that happens by accident. We should be training ourselves toward godliness. And so when we come back in two weeks' time, we're going to spend time looking at godliness. How do we grow in godliness? How do we not one day wake up as a 75 or an 80-year-old, look back over our lives and say, I don't think I've pleased God. I have done all of these things. I've accomplished all of these things. I've got all of these great competencies. But perhaps I've missed an important part of the purpose of my life. To reflect the beauty of Jesus. And so we'll speak about that in the coming week. Can I pray together? We'll speak about that in two weeks. Can we pray together as we close this evening? Jesus, thank you. Thank you that even tonight... We can hold on to your promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us, Lord. Lord, that even though in so many ways we are like Samson, Lord, that your grace is sufficient in all of our weakness. And so even tonight, we just want to lean into your grace, Lord. We want to lean into the fact that we are not perfect, but your grace is sufficient in the midst of our weakness, because that's where your strength is made perfect, Lord. Lord, thank you that as we're here this evening, that we can know that we are called. That we are called by the risen King, by a Savior. We are called by Jesus, Lord. That we can know that we are anointed, that you have poured your Spirit, 
upon all flesh, Lord. And so that, Jesus, as we come to you, we can come in the power of the Spirit, that we are favored. We are your kids, Lord. That we are highly favored. And, Lord, that we have the highest position and title that anybody on this earth could have, Lord. We are called children of God. We have that position. We have that title. You said, therefore, go. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so go. Jesus, that we can receive and we can accept that, Lord, as gifts from you, Lord. And as much as we receive and accept all of that, Lord, we also realize that, God, that's not what you are looking for. And so we bring our hearts before you, and we pray, Jesus, would you pour grace over us? Even in these coming two weeks, Lord, even before we sort of go into the sermon about us, help us to grow in godliness, Lord. Allow your Spirit, Lord, to teach us, to train us, to purify and to wash us, not because we are so good, Lord, but because your grace is so great. So we count on your grace to lead us into godliness in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this evening and you want someone to pray with you, we would love to pray with you. Maybe you're going through some stuff. Maybe you're looking at this and you just realize that there's a bunch of stuff in your life that you've just valued incorrectly, things that you've paid attention to. That and Just as we were speaking, you were like, God is saying, just you need to shift your focus in your career, in your studies, in your life, in your relationships. If that's you, we would so love to pray with you. Maybe you're just going through a rough patch. Maybe there's an exciting thing coming up this week, and you just want someone just to pray with you, just to say, God, I'm going to be a little bit naughty and ask God for favor. We would love to pray with you, whatever it may be. Please don't leave carrying the same burden that you came in with. When you do leave, there's coffee and tea. You're welcome to have some coffee and tea outside. I think the band or you guys are going to continue to minister a bit. If you want to stay around and just worship a little bit more, you're, you're welcome to do that. If you do need to go, obviously you're more than welcome to go. But please don't leave if you have a prayer request without having somebody pray with you. I mean, God bless you and have a great week further. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria. Pretoria.